Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Jesus Christ, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashan, and Nashan the father of Solomon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. You may be seated. Thank you, Cindy. Well, as I said last week, it's kind of an odd place to go start off uh, in a genealogy because we often just kind of skip over the genealogies when we get to the genealogies in Scripture. But we are in a series where we're looking for God's hand in unlikely places. And we will see, as we saw last week, God's hand in an unlikely place in this genealogy, specifically in the unlikely place of the lives of four women. Five women are mentioned in the genealogy, but we're going to leave Mary when we talk about Mary and Joseph next week. So we're going to talk about four women in this genealogy. And why that's significant that they're in this genealogy is a number of reasons. One, women were often not mentioned in genealogies, even in scripture. They're kind of a brief passing reference. But the original hearers would have taken note Because in their day, a woman's testimony wasn't admissible in court. Uh, Women couldn't own property. They were often dependent on fathers or husbands uh, for provision and protection. Women were marginalized. And the original hearers would have perked their, their ears up as they heard this being read for that reason and the reason of the details of their stories, because they were Jews. They were students of the Old Testament, and so their stories would have immediately come to mind as this genealogy is read. And so we are going to look at the lives of these women, who unfortunately, their lives were marked by pain and hurt. And it can be easy for us to focus on the pain and hurt in our own lives But the reality is God uses the brokenness. God works through the brokenness to accomplish his purposes. Why don't we pray first? Father, we need you. Open our eyes to see your hand at work in the lives of these four women. And ultimately, to open our eyes to see your hand at work in our life, in the midst of the brokenness and the hurt that we feel. Help us to see your hand and to see the solution to all that we struggle with is found in Christ Jesus as it was for these women. So we ask God that you lead us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, if you look back at 
your Bibles, at verse 3, it says, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar is the first story that we come to, and we're just going to kind of unpack each of their stories and then see how the, the implications of those and see God's hand at work in them and how God's hand is at work in our lives, and maybe you can relate to some of their stories. Now, Tamar is the first one. Now, I brought a few things with me this morning to kind of help maybe you know, illustrate and bring to mind these stories as we walk through them. So as we look at Tamar's life, you know, she's in uh, the genealogy because uh, she gave birth uh, by a man uh, by the name of Judah. And the way her, this story goes, you know, Judah is, you know, one of the sons of Jacob, you know, he's, you know, works in the field, you know, has a variety of items. He has, has sons, he has three sons, and then he gives a bride to his first son, and that is Tamar. Unfortunately, in her situation, her first husband is, is evil, and God puts him to death. It says God kills him. Now, note, as I go through this story, uh, I'm not going through all the details. I'd encourage you to go and read them. If they made a movie about this, I don't think I could commend it to be watched uh, because it's, you're like, wow, that's in the Bible. You're reading through, and all of a sudden, chapter 38 in Genesis, and you're like, where did this come from? But this is what happens. So, so her first husband dies, and she's without children, and, and the custom is then you give Give the bride to the next son so that the family line can continue through her. And that was significant for her because as, as, as a woman, the identity was often found in, in being a mom because, uh, you know, they bore the children. And that's, that's really fun. And blessing was often seen as coming from God if you had children. If you didn't have children, there wasn't blessing from God. So having children was really significant. So she's given to the second husband. The second husband denies her children. God says he's evil, kills him. Then there's the third brother. Okay, she's going to get to the third brother, but, but, but she's not given to the third brother. Judah's like, no, no. He's kind of freaked out at this point. He's thinking he's going he's gonna to get it too, so he doesn't give her the children. So she's in a place of pain, in a place of lost hope, not being able to have kids. So then she just takes things into her own hands. This is where the story gets really nutty. She pretends to be a cult prostitute and she goes to a place where Judah is going to be and he goes and he wants to engage in the services of a prostitute. He says, what do I, what do I owe you? I'll, you know, I'll take a goat. And well, I don't have a goat with me. Well, can you give me something? Can you give me something to know that you will send a goat sometime later? Well, I can give you my staff. I can give you my staff. And I can give you this, this cord that I have, and I can give you my, my ring. So he gives her these three items, and he takes advantage of the services that she offers, and then he leaves. And then he, later he sends one of his servants to go back and to, to get his items and to give, give what she's asked for, and she's not there. And the servant comes back, and he's like, well, let's not tell anybody. We don't want people to know. We don't want the shame of that. Well, then, of course, three months later, he finds out that his daughter-in-law uh, is pregnant, and he's obviously angry. And in that day, she could be put to death. 
And she comes to him and she says, I am pregnant by the one who owns these. And he's undone. You know, some of you have experienced pain in your life, looking to the future and not finding hope. Maybe you took things into your own hands, defying what God wanted you to do, and you find yourself in a place of hurt and brokenness. And I want you to know, you may have that experience, but God has something to speak to you today through this passage. Well, then we move on in as we go, verse 4, then verse 5, it says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab's the second woman that we see in this family tree. Now we meet Rahab in the book of Joshua. Because as you know, in the book of Joshua, that they are being uh, conquering the land of Canaan. Moses sends Joshua into the land, leading the people of Israel, and they come to this place, Jericho. And you know the story about Jericho, because at the end, they march around the wall, right? And they blow the trumpets, and the walls come down, and they overtake Jericho. But before that happens, they send out spies into the land, and they want to check things out. So they send out spies, they, they make their way into the city, and they meet this woman, Rahab, who is a prostitute. That's her occupation. And... She finds favor with them, and she wants to serve them. She hides them in her roof, in her house, because uh, she has this thatched roof. So when the authorities come by looking for these spies, they're not there. She sends them on a wild goose chase, and then she talks with them and sets them free. But right before they go, she says, will you protect me? Will you protect me? I've helped you. They said, surely we will protect you, but you must do one thing. You know, two things, actually. Don't tell them what's going on. Don't tell them where we're going. So she doesn't do that. And they say, take a scarlet cord and take that scarlet cord. And I want you to wrap it over, you know, your window so that when we come and we conquer the city, when we see that anyone who's in your house will be protected, they will be saved. So any of your family members, anybody you want, they need to be in the house. So this is a woman who, who needed safety and protection. She would have been used as a piece of property, living in a dangerous place. Some of you have found yourselves in places where you feel like you need deliverance, where you feel trapped or it feels overwhelming to you. God has something to say to you this morning. Then the story goes on as we read through. So after Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. So we learn about Ruth. Now we as a church went through the book of Ruth some time ago, and we, we went through that whole story. But you know, in brief, the story of Ruth is one where there's a man, so Ruth's father-in-law, uh, there's a famine in the land. He leaves. He goes to Moab, which is not a place that would have been favorable to the people of Israel. He goes to Moab because there's a famine, kind of disobeying God. He goes, and he has his two sons, and they find wives, and uh, they die. The sons die. The dad dies. And so these women, the wives and the mother-in-law, are left in a, a broken place. As I said before, if you weren't married, you were in a place where you weren't protected. You weren't safe. You couldn't often be provided for. 
And so Ruth then decides to go with her mother-in-law back because her mother-in-law, Naomi, hears that God has blessed, again, the nation of Israel and has provided a harvest, provided a barley harvest. Now, for those of you who are perceptive, this looks like barley, but it's wheat, okay? So let's just play pretend that this is barley. So she comes back in the barley harvest, but even in coming back with the anticipation of provision, there is need. Because even in coming back, there was no promise that provision would come. Danger might await them. Hunger was likely going to await them. You might find yourself in a place now or in the past or in the future where there's too much month at the end of your money. There's great need, and you're like, where is the provision going to come from? God has something to say to you this morning. As we keep going through the story, so Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, this woman is mentioned, but, but she is not named. Now, we know her to be Bathsheba. Now, Bathsheba had a great thing going on for her. She's married to Uriah the Hittite. You know, they get married. They have a great photos at their wedding, I'm sure, right? It was a beautiful thing, and Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men. I mean, this is one of the men who would protect David, who would do anything for David. He could, he could kill thousands. He could lead men into battle. I mean, this probably was, even though we don't have the details of their wedding, it was probably like this picture-perfect thing. There's hope in front of them. He's got, he's got job security. He's got status. Everything is going well, and he's off at battle because there's conflict arise, arisen, and one of David's men is gone, and David stays back. And as, as this nameless woman in here, but as we know her name to be Bathsheba, is cleansing herself, the king, David, the one who's, who's known as the man after God's own heart, sees her, and he wants her. And I know we don't know, like, why was she up on the roof? But here's the reality. The king can do what he wants to do, regardless of what anyone else wants. When the king says to do it, it's done. And you must obey the king or die. And so the unthinkable happened. David takes a married woman, this wonderful covenant relationship, and he wrecks it. And her life is marked by brokenness and shame. The object of David's sinful passion, adultery. Her husband is murdered. She's violated. She's shamed for her actions to put insult to injury. The child that she bears as a result of that sinful encounter dies. The 
Some of you are here, and some of you may know individuals who have encountered sexual brokenness. I don't have to name all of those things. Just the fact that it's in your story, whether it's known by others or not, there's an awareness. You just feel broken. You feel like that. Whether you've been married or not, you feel like, I'm not worth anything. God wants to speak to you today. Because even in the midst of these four stories that seem to just highlight brokenness, we see God giving grace. We see God's hand at work in these unlikely places. So we're going to just look at three ways that God's hand can be found working in these unlikely places. The first is this. God's grace is available to outsiders. God's grace is available to outsiders. Tamar was a Canaanite. Rahab, the same, also a prostitute. Ruth, she was a Moabite. If you want to read about the Moabites, that they were not looked favorably at all. They weren't allowed in the temple. And Bathsheba, the wife of a Hittite. Those that would have been looked at by the people of Israel as outsiders. So again, the original hearers hear their name and they, their eyes bug out. Because wait a minute, their stories, these, these are outsiders, yet they are in the family tree. And God's grace fell on these women. Because that's not the end of their story, as we're going to learn. That the thing we talk about wasn't the end of their story. Because ultimately, in their line, because they're in the family tree of the king who we've been singing about this morning, the one who came not to call the righteous, but the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're all outsiders, friends. We're all outsiders. Isaiah 53 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That prophecy was of the coming king that we are celebrating his birth and his incarnation in this season of time. And he came and he paid the penalty for sin and he welcomed the outsiders. He went to the outsiders. When we were going our own way, he came to us. And you can come to him simply by putting your trust in him, by repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done, what your story is, where you're at. He's come for you. No matter how much you feel like an outsider. And then as we have come to him, here's the reality. These are some pictures of some outsiders that are out there, friends. Brothers and sisters, they're outside the walls of this building. People are experiencing hurt and pain. They're trying to satisfy and satiate that desire in their heart with other stuff, with sin, and it's just not working. No matter what you see on the outside, they're dying on the inside. And they need to know there's one that has come for them. There's one that will accept them. There's one that will welcome them in just as you were welcomed in. 
So let us go. We were outsiders. Let us go to the outsiders. Let us tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ because God's grace is available for them. Even as you grow and you walk with Jesus and you see sin put to death, don't distance yourself from those who are found in their struggle. Remember that Christ came. He didn't distance himself. He humbled himself and he came. So no, God's grace is available to you. The second way we see God working is God redeems our sin and shame. <coughs> Sexual sin, taking things into her own hand, living a life, selling herself, the shame of being poor and having nothing. Back in Ruth's day, if you were poor and you didn't have fields to eat, you had to wait until the wheat or the barley was harvested and then you could glean around the outside edges. The, the law provided for those who had less by saying, if when you harvest, then just leave the outside edges. So you think, well, that's great. There was provision for those who didn't have any, but you didn't want to be the one coming and picking up the scraps because everyone knew. Think of the shame of that. Think of the shame of being taken advantage of and violated. Likely not because of anything that she did Yet she experiences the shame. Jesus understands our struggle. Jesus understands our struggle. Now, I know that pain and hurt can take years to walk through and deal with. So I'm not not minimizing. It's not like, well, we trust Jesus and everything goes away. No, sometimes folks walk for years dealing with past hurts, particularly past hurts that weren't by their own hand, but that were inflicted upon them. But Jesus understands. He understands because pain was inflicted upon him that he didn't deserve. He was innocent when he went to the cross, so he understands what it's like to have pain inflicted on him that he didn't deserve, so he understands. And he didn't come into a squeaky clean world. I mean, as we looked at his family tree last week, he came into a family that was messed up, into a world that's messed up. And he lived with all the struggle that we have. That's why it's such such balm to our souls when we read Hebrews 4.15, which says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He knows what it's like to walk through the temptations that you face. The temptations to sin, the temptations to be like, God, what are you doing? because he was innocent, he understands. And he knows the pain of our sin and shame. He knows the pain, not just knows the struggle, but he knows the pain. He didn't just, he didn't simply just go to the cross and pay the penalty, becoming our substitute. 
but he lived perfectly when you couldn't live perfectly. And he doesn't come to you and go, yeah, I just, I'm gonna create some distance because I've been doing it right and you've been doing it wrong. No, he doesn't create distance. He comes and he gives his life for you. That's what Jesus does. He's not ashamed of you. No, rather than being ashamed of you, he humbles himself and he takes your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So no matter what you have done and you experience the fruit of that, Jesus has experienced that for you. When God looks upon you, if you've trusted in Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness, not your filthy deeds. He doesn't look at you and go, that's worthless. What are you going to do with that? No, he sees the righteousness of his son. And Jesus knows because he bore your shame. He bore your shame. He was mocked on the cross. He was beaten before he went. And he bore the weight of sin. Friends, I know there are some here, as I said before, that have experienced brokenness. You've experienced shame. You feel like your life looks like this picture frame. Whether you're married or not, or whether you've been married or not, you, you, you feel that. You feel like damaged goods. You feel like an outsider. There's some good news. One commentator by the name of Sinclair Ferguson said this. He said, whatever it is that causes us shame from sin or abuse in our past to painful memories that, we can, that continue to linger, the Lord Jesus understands. He does more than merely see the burdens we privately carry. He has experienced them himself. So when you feel, no one understands that may be true if you look horizontally, but there is one who understands. He absolutely understands. When you're crying out in the watches of the night, he understands. He is there waiting to hear from you. And even when you can't pray, he intercedes for you. God redeems our sin and shame by sending his son and by sending his son to the cross. The third way we see God's hand is one we talked about last week. God keeps his promises, often in unexpected ways. But God keeps his promises. In the midst of darkness, we feel, not only we feel lost, we kind of feel like God's lost control. Like, like this is not supposed to be happening. God, where are you? What's going on? God, where were you when? God, why didn't you act then? God, where are you now? God, don't you see the struggle that's going on in my life right now? God, when I look out into the future, it looks bleak. And I don't have any assurance at this moment that it's not going to turn out that way. In fact, it might even turn out worse than that. 
the midst of the darkness, we can feel that. You have to remember, though, there is an end of each of these stories. And when we read through Scripture, we could read through a chapter and we get to the end of the story. But after the second husband denies her a child and she's waiting, she doesn't know what's going to happen. And even though she takes things into her own hands, she didn't have to get pregnant, but she does. And she bears children. And her child then fathers another child that fathers another child that fathers another child. And then we come to Jesus. Or in the middle of her story, the spies leave her. They give her an assurance. Tie this thing around your window and you'll be safe. She really has no assurance. She just saw them that day. She just hid them that day. She doesn't know if they're just telling her a story just so that they can get out or if they really mean what they say. So when the people are marching around her city, she doesn't know how it's going to turn out. You felt that way. But the end, the end is that they, they were saved, her and her entire family. And she ends up in the line of Jesus. Ruth, when she comes back to Bethlehem and is hungry, she doesn't know if there's going to be provision there. She doesn't know if she's going to die of starvation. But God provides a man by the name of Boaz who sees her and makes sure that she's provided for and then he sacrifices so that she can be his wife. We know the end of the story. I love that story. I love reading that story. Every year I love reading that story. But in chapter two, it doesn't look good. And Bathsheba, like the brokenness that's there after the death of, of her son, it just seemed like it's just pressing again and again. And like, God, what are you gonna do? She doesn't know in that moment that God is going to have David marry her and take her in and provide for all of her needs. She doesn't know that she's going to give birth to a son by the name of Solomon who will be known as the wisest who ever lived and who built the temple of God where God came to dwell with his people. God keeps his promises. God kept his promises, and it's hard to see sometimes when they're in the midst of the darkness, but we have to know this is not the last chapter of the story. God is at work. The psalmist articulates this well in Psalm 139. He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Sinclair Ferguson says again, God sees as clearly in the dark as in the day. He knows what he's doing and where he is going. He can even weave the dark threads of man's evil deeds, tragedies, and disasters into his purposes and use them for his glory. God sees the end from the beginning. If you continue to read in Psalm 139, you know he, he knows you. He saw your unformed parts. 
when you were knitted together in your mother's womb. He knows how many days that you will live. He knows the end from the beginning. And God knows what he is doing in your life. And he always keeps his promises. And how do we know that? How do we know he's going to keep his promises? Because he's already shown us that he's going to keep his promises. Because these three things that we've talked about, they all come to culmination in Jesus Christ. God's promises culminate in the coming of Jesus. God came to save people like those in his family tree. The barriers between us and God were broken down because Christ went to the cross. When Christ was born, he came to be like the outsiders, and he came to the outsiders. The interracial marriages that are talked about here are to point us to the fact that there are outsiders. Jesus came to the outsiders, and we're to go to the outsiders. That's why we declare this. We don't just decorate because it's fun to do in the month of December. It's pointing us to, that Jesus has come. Take advantage of this season, friends, as you interact with your loved ones, as you interact with your neighbors, as you watch football games and have food and go to Christmas parties. Tell them. When Christ was born, God brought the ultimate redeemer for our sin and shame. The ultimate redeemer. When Christ was born, he kept his promises. Everybody was expecting a military leader to come on the scene. That's what they were expecting. Military leader to come, crush the Romans because they were the jerks. They were afflicting everybody. But no, a baby comes on the scene. He grows up to be a carpenter. And then he goes around and he goes teaching. And every single time, like, people want to come have conflict with him. Like, he disappears. He's invisible through the crowd or he... he he disappears. He doesn't want people to know when he heals people. Everybody's like, what the heck's going on? But he kept his promise because Jesus was coming to go to the cross to reconcile us to him and to go and then prepare a place for us where we can go and we can be with him. So all of these stories, friends, they, they point us to Christ. Tamar. Though she was in a place of hopelessness, her husband, her, her, the, the one who, who got her pregnant is Judah, and she didn't know that she would become the great, 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 great grandma of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Rahab didn't know that this scarlet cord that she would put on would be one that would represent the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that would wash us of our sins and would cause the wrath of God to pass over us so that we don't have to feel the wrath of God. But Jesus delivers us from the wrath that's to come. And Ruth has a redeemer in Boaz who points to the greater redeemer. Ruth didn't know she's going to have a child who would then have a child, and she'd become the grandmother of King David, the great King David, whose throne points us to the throne of the king of kings. And 
Bathsheba was known by her brokenness. Points us to the reality that Jesus bore our shame. And see, friends, it's, it's not just that he bore our shame so we, we learn how to live with this. He bore our shame and he went to the cross. so that he could restore us and renew us. And so that when God looks at us, it's as if we had never sinned. That's the good news of the gospel. So no matter what you have done, no matter how broken you feel your life is, Christ is the bringer of grace to all outsiders. He fulfills in the fullness all these images that we see. One off the road, in Jesus, you stop having to prove yourself because you know it doesn't really matter in the end whether you are a failure or a king. All you need is God's grace, and you can have it in spite of your failures. Christ is the final redeemer of sin and shame, of your hurt and brokenness. Christ is the yes and amen of all of God's promises. Now, before we, we move along to sing in response, as I prayed, I just believe we need to minister to one another. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but as the worship team plays some music, let's pray for one another. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to acknowledge yourself if you want prayer. We're not asking you, I'm not asking you to even say what you're burdened for. If folks come around you to pray for you and you, you just say, just please pray for me. You don't even have to say, I have an unspoken prayer. You don't, don't have to speak. Just say, please pray for me. No one's going to ask you. No one's going to embarrass you. But let the Spirit of God speak through them to pray for you where you are right now. But maybe there is a specific thing. Maybe there's people around you physically right now where you can, you can tell them and you can share some of the burdens that you have. But If you're having a hard time believing God's grace is for you, please receive the grace of God and, and ask for prayer. If you're having a hard time accepting that God accepts you regardless of your sin and shame, just, just know someone wants to pray for you so that you can know that Jesus bore your shame. If you're, if you're having a hard time believing that God is going to fulfill his promises, that even God has even shown up and even working in your life, just acknowledge that. And for some of you, you're in such a place of pain, you're not going to be able to raise your hand, and that's fine. That's fine. I'll stay here as long as we need to. A number of leaders will stay here this afternoon as long as we need to, to pray and to be an encouragement to you. So church, why don't we stand?
And if you're in, if you're in that place where you need prayer, just raise your hand. Not to embarrass anyone or to discourage anyone, but if you're in that place, just raise your hand. Because we want to pray and we want to minister to you this morning. And it's a hard thing to do. So we're just going to wait a moment. And maybe there's no, there's no, there's someone there. Is there anybody else? So someone in the back. Leave your, I'll have you put your hands back up in just a moment. So if you're around those individuals, preferably if they're, if they're ladies, ladies, could you gather around them? If they're guys, guys, could you gather around them? So just raise your hand and just gather around. And the worship team is just going to play some music. And if you're not close to someone who's raised their hand, just pray in your spot. But if you're close to someone who put their hand up, just, just gather around them right now. And we're just going to pray for a few minutes. And then the worship team is going to start singing a song in response. And if you're praying for them, don't stop praying. You can keep praying while they sing. Let's, let, let's minister grace. So go ahead and, and gather around those folks. So if, if you had your hand up, raise it up again so that folks can see you. And, and let's gather around them. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.